Good morning. I just want to make sure that we're online here. Uh, good morning. It's a pleasure to be here. And I want you to open up your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at verses 3 to 8. Those of you who have been at prayer meeting might recognize this as kind of a condensed version of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 to 17, uh, but there is some slight differences in it. So Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 to 8, and we will, we will be focusing on that this morning. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we pray for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you. As indeed, in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Before we begin the message I'd like us to share in a prayer that was offered up for a sermon written some 400 years ago. Let's pray this prayer together. Good God and Father, since all fullness of wisdom and light is found in you, be merciful and enlighten us by your Holy Spirit in the true understanding of your word. And give us grace to receive it in true fear and humility. May we be taught by your word to place our trust only in you and to serve and honor you as we ought so that we may glorify your holy name. Amen. Thank God. I don't know if it's ever happened to you, but a number of years ago, I was driving along quite nicely, and uh, my station wagon started to swerve back and forth. And like the song, you might think that you would say, Jesus, take the wheel. But before I could say or do anything, everything was fine. The car was pointed in the right direction. There was no injuries. Um, and off I went back home. Uh, the question is, when did I stop and say thank you? Isn't that odd that we often stop and think, hmm, how long ago did that happen? Did I really thank God that there was no injury and I was safe? Thank God. As we read this passage here in, in Colossians, there is this thankfulness that's there. And if you look at this passage long enough, you might want to try to find out what's the center focus. Why is it that there, the call is to be thankful? And the center focus there is verse 5. 
The rest is bringing us to verse 5. So thank God, why? Now, I'm going to read it from a different version. And I'll tell you why shortly. Verse 5 says, thank God, why? For the hope stored up for us in heaven. And that's the reason why we are to be thankful. Everything else is pointing towards that, the hope that's stored up for us in heaven. Now, there's a couple of words there that um, I think we need to clarify. Number one is, most of your versions, like the ESV that are read, um, is simply talking about laid up. I have a hard time understanding. Like, I went and I looked in the dictionary, and that idea of laid up is stored. When I think about laid up, it reminds me of the time in which, you know, I had a sore foot and I was laid up. But it has the idea of stored. And uh, the NAV has the idea of stored. And, of course, when uh, this last week we had a wonderful time of uh, putting away some uh, maple syrup and we stored it in the basement. And so when our kids come home, if they know where it is, they know where it's stored up and so they can take some home. It's stored up. Now, the other one that's there is hope. And I had the message all prepared. And I realized that in our society, we have kind of a different idea of hope. And so in the summertime, we might hope that it's going to be sun, sunshine so I can go to the beach. And so this hope that we use is kind of a flippant thing. And who cares if it actually turns out? But this is not the hope that we're talking about here. This is a surety. We absolutely know this is absolutely going to happen. The hope is certain. So when we read this, we read, hope stored up for us in heaven. That's the focus. That's what we're thankful for. We are thankful for what's stored up for us in heaven. Now, the other thing that's interesting here is the hope isn't for heaven, is it? It says the hope that's stored up for us in heaven. It's what is in heaven that is stored up for us. It's Jesus Christ, our Lord. When Jesus ascended into glory on Ascension Day, he sat at the right hand of the Father, and there he sat. And if you read John 17, if you read John 14, Jesus is the one who is stored up for us in heaven. Now, the challenge for us is that oftentimes when we see heaven, we stop and think, well, what's heaven going to be like? Will I be able to, and I remember at a prayer meeting, will I be able to uh, play golf like I did when I was 20? Um, and we would, a lot of people were saying, will I be youthful? Um, well, all except for Paul Lofgren, he was quite happy with what he was feeling at the present time. The rest of us, we needed to figure out, will we feel younger? Heaven, what's about heaven? Well, the thing is, if you haven't noticed, not too many books have been written about heaven. I don't read modern day books. Because oftentimes, after reading them, you realize that there's a lot of errors. But anyway, so not too many books on heaven were written. So here's one here, and I thought this was not too bad. I've read probably a third of the way through. Some stuff I agree with, some stuff I didn't. Now, this book is interesting because he's collected all the passages in the Scripture about heaven. 
And he's kind of put them together. It's kind of an easy way to look at what uh, his view of heaven is. You can agree or disagree with what he says. But again, this is not what this passage is talking about. But it's talking about the hope that is stored up for us in heaven. And so we often think about heaven when we ignore the fact that something is stored up for us in heaven. And that is Jesus Christ. And I'd like to remind you of what Jesus himself said in John 14. He said this, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. See, that's our hope. Jesus is going to come back when your life is over or when my life is over, and he's going to take us to be where he is. That's our hope. That's my hope. And oftentimes when we read John 14, we focus in on heaven rather than the one who was stored there. Because if you read the passage, John 14, the first few verses, it says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I was talking to a man many, many years ago, and he says, well, I don't want any rooms. I want a mansion. And of course, if you have the old King James, it does say mansion. But the thing is, the focal point there, he was focusing in on heaven, where here it says, our hope is stored up in heaven, and that is the Lord and Savior who's sitting on the throne, and he is going to take us to be where he is. Now, as we read this passage from uh, Colossians, we find that it's almost a history lesson as to what's happened to the Colossians. Because uh, if you take a look at verse 6, it says, uh, you believe these things since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. So they had a start. And that is God's grace. And I pray that you experienced God's grace. And many times in my life, I've experienced God's grace grace. I shouldn't have understood stuff, but all of a sudden God revealed things to me. I remember when I was about uh, 12, 13, or 14, I was reading a lot of uh, science fiction books. One of my favorite uh, movies or shows was Star Trek. And there was a book out that on the back of it says, "Was was God an astronaut? And so at 12 years of age, I didn't know much about anything, uh, even though I thought I did. Um, And so in my mind, I was struggling through, is God real or is this all something uh, coming from outer space? And basically what happened, I simply bowed my head and I said that uh, I'm going to believe in God. And the experience there, again, we're not supposed to trust our experience, but it reminded me of the passage that Jesus uh, said that all of the angels rejoice when one sinner repents. The grace of God has been given to these Colossians in all its truth. When we think about the truth that's given. So when you became a Christian, you saw the cross, you saw what Jesus did, and you believed in all its truth. Now, how many truths did you believe? How many truths are there? 
There's an infinite number, isn't there? You could be a Christian for 80 years, and all of a sudden, there's something new. Was that Bible study on Monday with a small group, and a new believer uh, said, she can't believe how many times the Trinity is mentioned all through the Bible. Whenever she reads, she sees, she sees the Trinity. She's never seen that before. As a believer, we look into his word. We find out there's lots of truth. Tr- there's all sorts of truths out there. As a science teacher, um, mainly physics, science is broken up into three Sciences, right? Physics, chemistry, and biology. And what's happening now is the biology and chemistry are slowly but slowly being pushed into the physics realm because of the advancements in technology. And one of the things that's quite interesting is that the operation of the universe, all of the equations that tell us how the universe exists can be put on a single piece of paper. We think the universe is difficult, but there's basically four laws that govern the universe. Gravity, electromagnetic, weak, and nuclear forces, that's it. And everything can be put on a piece of paper. But you can't do that for the one who has all truth. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And the more we turn to our Jesus, the more truth we have. Grace in all of its truth. And so we turn to Christ. We see the work on the cross. We see his amazing work. And we see how much we are in need of a Savior. There Jesus died on the cross. Why did he die on the cross for you? We say because he died on the cross for our sin. Good. He died on the cross for our sin. He took my sin. But there's more to it than that, isn't it? I am clean washed from my sin when I confess my sin to him. He died because of my sin. Paid the sin, paid for my sin. The wrath of God was appeased. But more than that. So if we stop there, he paid for my sin. So we're almost like back in the garden, isn't it? We're, we're, we're clean, we're, we're washed clean of all our sin. But the problem with Adam and Eve, they lacked one thing. Even before they sinned, even before they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it's this. When Jesus took my sin upon him, paid for my sin, his righteousness was given to me. Adam and Eve did not have that. So when Jesus says, my, our hope is stored up for us in heaven. So when Christ takes us back into glory, we are not only free from sin, we possess the righteousness that is God's righteousness that's talked about all throughout Romans. And he's given us his righteousness, which Adam and Eve before the fall never experienced. That is the hope that is stored in heaven. And that is the grace and the beginning of all truths that we can learn more and more. Well, the next verse we find uh, is the next step 
in the Christian walk for the Colossians. And that is verse 5. That you have already heard about, in the word of truth, the gospel. The challenge today is for us to know what the meaning of the word gospel is. Because it is essential for us to know what the gospel is. You need to know what the gospel is to know if I'm telling the truth or not. What is the gospel? Well, a pastor picked up his son from a VBS, a kids club, whatever. It was Sunday afternoon. He picked up his son, and the son came into the car happy. He says, I'm a Christian now. And, of course, the pastor said, wow, that's good. So the pastor started to question him. And so he started asking all these important questions, going down all the list. And he was also familiar with James Kennedy's um, questions that were, were asked. And James Kennedy encouraged people to go out into the neighborhood and talk to people about their faith. And they, he encouraged them to ask this one question. And this one question was this. You are dead. You're now standing in front of God. Why should God let you into heaven? And his son turned to his father and said, well, because I'm dead. So you have to think about that. Theologically, the reason why he was going to go to heaven is because he's dead. So salvation is caused by death, right? And so James Kennedy and the rest figured out that if you go into your neighborhood, that's 90% of the people say the same thing that they're going to heaven because they're dead. No. What does it say there? Our hope is stored up for us in heaven. So here's a question. I think you have your bulletins there. And if you don't have your bulletin, you've got a piece of paper. I'm going to give you a little bit of time. Hey, I'm a teacher. I like teaching. This is, a, this is a test. Got it? Um, put down the definition of the gospel. It says here that you have already heard about the word of truth, the gospel. So quickly, put down what the gospel is. Well, if you've got it, hopefully you didn't put down good news. Um, if it was me, I might have put down ouangiliazomine. I like that because that was one of the first Greek long complicated words I learned in Greek class, but, which is simply preaching the good news. You can't use the hymn, what we just sung. I think it was the last or second last one which talked about the gospel. Nice and short, what's the gospel? The gospel is simply this. It is the life and the work of Jesus Christ. 
It's the life and the work of Jesus Christ. My hope is stored up for me in heaven. I desire above all to see more and more of Jesus Christ because he's going to take me from here into heaven before the throne of the Father. That's what he's going to do. I want to see and hear more of that. And I don't care about uh, sermons that are equivalent to TED Talks. Some of you may not know what that means, but you can look them up on YouTube. There's lots of TED Talks on bees and woodworking, all sorts of things on global warming. I don't care. I don't care about who's going to be elected or who's not going to be elected. What I'm concerned, what I'm looking for is the hope that is stored up for me in heaven. There are many people out there who are walking home from churches all across North America. They sit down for Sunday lunch and they say, now what was that message all about? The thing is, Jesus is the most precious thing to me. Now, I can stand up here and tell you all the precious things about my family, right? What good is that to you? Because my family isn't precious to you. Mine is. But Jesus is precious because it is what is stored up for us in heaven. And that's what we need to contemplate, think about. And so when we think about the messages that we've had here, which ones have you remembered? I came to this church before I got sick, sick, sorry, sick, <laughs> before, I was, before I was sick and during I was sick. And one of the things that I remember a lot is the shepherd, John 10, and about how he is divine and word of branches. When I walked home, when I got home, I would think for the entire week about John 16, how or why Jesus was going to have to leave to bring the Spirit here. Why did that happen? What's going on there? So I talked to Tyler about that. The gospel is the life and the work of Jesus Christ. So today I'm going to go home, and I'm not going to think about this one because I just wrote it, but I'm going to be thinking about Christ sending out his servants in the gospel according to Luke. It's the life and the work of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. And we need to focus in on that. When ministers, new ministers, old anybody, that's the, that's the hope that we have, is that which is stored in heaven. And when I go home, I'm thinking about Christ. Now, one of the interesting things you might have noticed here as you read the entire passage, and this is the first thing that stuck out to me, was that in all of this passage, it did focus in on the hope that's stored for, up for us in heaven, but there are three words that should have stuck out in your mind as well. Faith, hope, and love. Now, where is that? That must have been sparked your memory even though you may not have been in church all your life, but you would have heard that passage many, many times at a wedding, right? 
And at the end of 1 Corinthians 13, what does it say? Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Now, one of the things that is quite remarkable about Colossians verses 1, verses 3 to 8 is what? Thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And at the last verse, what is it? The Spirit who has produced love. So there we have the triune God working its salvation in our lives. And so the Spirit is working in us, and we have to remember what it says in Galatians chapter 5. It says that since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And so the Spirit is at work within us. We're trying to keep in step with the Spirit. As we look at these three words, we need to think, okay, my hope is stored up for me in heaven. Christ Jesus, my Lord. What about faith? What about, lo- what about hope? What about love? So I know what hope is. Hope's going to disappear, isn't it? When I die, my hope is done because Christ is going to take me home. Hope's finished. Hope's realized. What about faith? Do you have faith? Do you, are, you, are you absolutely certain that you're saved? That's one of the biggest questions that all Christians ask. Am I certain that I'm saved? Do I have assurance is the common word. That assurance comes down to faith in Christ alone. James talks about that faith. Do you have the right kind of faith? Are you certain? Well, what does faith start with? It says grace and all of its truth, so it starts off with truth. So we pick up the word of God, and there I read truth. The question is, do I believe it? If I don't believe it, I'm not saved. Now, there are many out there. I was uh, listening to uh, somebody talking about the Word of God, and he would say, I believe in God's, I believe that this is the Word of God only in faith. History and other stuff I'm not too certain about, but I believe it only because it has something to do with faith. That's not true faith. This is the Word of God. We believe in the Word of God and every aspect of the Word of God and its original manuscripts, etc., etc., etc. But there's the truth. The next step is, do you actually believe it? That's good. You believe it? Great. Who else believes it? Who has memorized the Bible? Satan. Does he know it's true? Absolutely. Have you ever noticed that uh, when Jesus appeared in the Gospels, the demons know who he is, uh, the Pharisees don't? They know who he is. They know what he's going to do. They know, they, they basically memorize the Bible. But that's not, if, so if I know the truth and I agree with the truth, doesn't mean that I'm definitely going to go to heaven because the devil does that. What's the big difference? The big difference is this. My God is beautiful. My God has saved me. He is awesome Savior. He is glorious. 
When I learn, when I see a new truth. My affections swell. He is my God, who is beautiful. When I read about the peace that he gives, he gives me glorious peace. When I talk about, when he talks about this joy that can be had, it's glorious joy because of him. It's not what I get. It's not my attitude. It's not anything that I do. But I'm looking at this reward which is stored up for heaven, and it's him that I am excited about seeing and doing. This is what he's doing. That's, not, that's what I'm excited about. It's not what I get. It's what he's doing that excites me. That blesses me. That encourages me. That's what he's all about. So faith really is a, I don't want to say a three-step process, but hopefully we can see what that means, that we can be certain of our faith. I know what the truth is. I agree with the truth. And I am so overwhelmed by the truth that he has shared with me. And he is an awesome God. I have mentioned to some on the, in the uh, worship teams that sometimes we're overwhelmed by the awesomeness of God. I wish we could sing a couple of extra hymns at the end of the message so that this joy can be rekindled more and more when we sing his praises. You know, there's a, an interesting retirement package for us uh, in the Bible. I met a, a, a man about my age, his mother just died, and we were talking a little bit about Alzheimer's and such, and she just had a little bit of Alzheimer's, but she was pretty, she was not too bad. But uh, my mother, she simply faded away until the point she didn't even know who I was, but she knew who her sister was. And I was thinking, Ecclesiastes chapter 12 says, remember your creator, in the days of your youth. And we were talking, wondering if I got Alzheimer's and I believed when I was five, would I still hang on to my hope that is based, that is found in heaven? Or would I lose that too? I don't know. My wife tells me that those who have Alzheimer's remember their parents. But wouldn't that be awesome that if you come to faith in Christ as a young child, you have Alzheimer's, and all of a sudden you're resting solely on Christ. Alzheimer's is is not pretty. Now last but not least, we talked about hope, we talked about faith, and of course there is love. And of course, love lasts forever. And of course, as we read about love in the scriptures, uh, one of the best passages of all about love is really Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 21, where it relates 
the love that Christ has for the church for, uh, in regards to marriage. Love will never cease. Faith comes to an end. Hope comes to an end. But love continues on. I taught uh, physics. I taught teenagers. Taught didn't teach very many uh, girls. They didn't care much for physics, but there were some. And one of the things that uh, I always brought up almost every year at the end was what love was. And I would turn to them and say that my wife is the most beautiful creature in all the world. She's 60 years of age. And she is the most beautiful creature in all the world. And the reason being is that we've been married for over 40 years. I have seen her raise our children. I've seen her do quite amazing things. And every time she does things, it is absolutely amazing what I see done by her. And my love continues to grow more and more down through the ages. And that's the connection that Paul wanted to bring out in Ephesians chapter 5. So I come to faith through so grace in all of its truth, the gospel, I'm learning about what God is doing, and the more I learn through the word of God, the more that I learn about what he is doing, my love grows strong, and then when this life is over, this love continues. It's eternal, and it's growing. Uh, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, because that love is never going to end. It's going to continue on. Marriage will come to an end when one dies. But the love that is eternal is from our Lord and Savior. Our hope is stored up for us in heaven. And faith will be gone because it will be a reality. Hope will be made sure but the love we have for our Savior, seated on the throne, will explode. It would be hard to understand what that love will look like. Well, our hope is stored up for us in heaven. About 200 years ago, a guy by the name of Nietzsche decided to tell the world that God was dead. And you might have heard the term, God is dead. And a lot of people picked it up, and so we don't need God anymore because we have the scientific method. We got this, we got this, and we got this. We don't need it anymore. And two decades before he died, he was admitted to an insane asylum because he was going a bit crazy. And then a few years before he died, he was signing his name, Jesus Christ. He did not have any hope. And I'm certain he was afraid of meeting coming across the wrath of an angry God. Unfortunately, Karl Marx, Lenin, Stalin, Hitler, and Mao all adopted his views. And as a consequence, we have to remember last century there were 2 billion people on the earth, and these people killed 250 million people trying to create a heaven on earth. Their hope was not based on, uh, from what's found in heaven. They wanted they wanted paradise on earth. 
a lot of people are afraid to go to heaven because uh, even though they've come to they've come to church, uh, they see, oh, you know, I don't know if my good works is good enough. Unfortunately, it's not good enough. There's no good works that's good enough. Other people are promised that, oh, Jesus died for your sins, but you know what? If you sin, you got to pay off those sins, you know, go to confession. You, and if it's still not good enough, then you go to purgatory. And they have this fearful reckoning of meeting God. That contradicts this verse. My hope is based on what's in heaven. It's what's stored in heaven. It's Jesus Christ and my Savior. That's what I have got stored up for me in heaven. And he says here in John 14, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Faith comes to an end. Hope comes to an end. Love explodes. We thank, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because you have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that's come to you. May the Lord show us the blessing there is in his word.